Oh, Lord God, we uh, thank you this morning for your goodness and graciousness to us. And Lord, we know that no matter the circumstances that we encounter in this life, that your love for us is solid and secure. And Lord, we rest in that today. Lord, open our eyes to the things that you want us to understand this morning about Jesus and having his mindset, and uh, we offer these next moments to you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, you know what? A while back when uh, my kids were younger, this was the time of year when we would decide to um, take an evening out and pile everybody in the van and start driving around through the neighborhoods of our town to look at the Christmas lights. Do you do that? Some of you have younger children, and it was always a lot of fun. And I remember one year, my boys started this new thing where they, as we kind of wound our way through the neighborhoods and looked at the decorations in the front yards, our boys started to assign letter grades to the homes based on the decorations. And so, you know, we're driving through, and I'd, f- from the back seat, I'd hear, you know, there's a C, you know, and <laughs> there's a D minus. Oh, look, there's an A. And it was kind of funny to, to listen to them. And I came to find out that their cardinal rule for earning an A was that the, the home had to have a nativity scene. In the front yard, it had to have Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus, and then if a family had that, then they could earn an A. And so that really kind of made me proud. I thought, well, that's that's good, right? I mean, Christmas is about Jesus. Right now, my next door neighbor, my next door neighbor, would be earning an A plus because he's got this big life-size inflatable manger scene with the uh, you know Joseph's as tall as I am, and it's it's really cool. And so I'm giving him an A plus. And I think it's, it's just good to focus on Jesus at Christmas time, right? Because Christmas is the celebration of the birthday of Jesus Christ. And you know that Christmas is just days away. Can you believe it? This year is winding down. And uh, as we approach December 25th, we know that that is a day when Christians all over the world will be celebrating the, the birthday of Jesus Christ, the arrival of our Savior who came to us amazingly as a cooing, gurgling little baby boy nursing at the breast of his teenage mother, who, as you can imagine, had her heart filled with wonder and amazement at being chosen to participate in the plan of God. I got to thinking about little babies, and they are just precious, aren't they? (laughs) Little babies are precious. You know, being a pastor is not always fun. But one of the funnest things for me is when a couple that I married brings up to me their little baby for me to take a look at. So just a couple of weeks ago, Chris and Ashley came up here and they brought their little baby boy and said, look, Pastor Steve, you know, you had a part in this. And it was so cool. And uh, what is it about babies? I mean, they're just, they just melt our hearts. They're so precious all bundled up, looking all cute and everything, sleeping so peacefully some of the time. (laughs) Wanted to let you know our nursery coordinator, her name is Amanda, and uh, she's pregnant. She's been on on bed rest for uh, a number of weeks, starting, I think, at 26 weeks into the pregnancy. And she actually just had her baby this week, a few days ago, at 29 weeks. So you can be praying for baby Ella and mom Amanda and dad Travis as they kind of navigate through this season. Um, That's pretty early on, right? 29 weeks. So I think she was like two pounds something. And um, so keep, keep that family in your prayers. Well, we do love our babies. We love all of our babies. 
but this time of the year, the baby that we get, get most excited about is that baby boy who was born in Bethlehem's manger 2,000 years ago. He was a special child, amen? He was a child like no other. There wasn't much fanfare that night to greet his arrival, but it's safe to say that the hopes and longings of nations were bound up in that little child. Well, in our Christmas series this year, which begins today, we're going to explore this unfathomable mystery of God coming from heaven to earth. One man said, there is perhaps no more marvelous thought that human beings can consider. And so I want you to take your Bibles this morning or your device and go to Philippians chapter 2. And you can pull out the study guide from your worship folder. I know we don't typically, typically consider Philippians 2 to be a version of the Christmas story, but I want us to look at it today through that lens, okay? Philippians chapter 2, and I'll start reading in verse 5. And it says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto or clutched tightly, Verse 7, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. As I said, Christmas is first and foremost about Jesus Christ. It's a lavish celebration of the hope that humanity now has as a result of the arrival of the Son of God on our planet. Today I wanted us to just kind of step back and ponder and consider and really revel in four truths about Christ and Christmas that Paul reveals in this very weighty theological passage of Scripture. And the first is this. I want us to consider this morning the pre-existence of Jesus. And that means that Jesus was alive before he was born. Let me say that again. Jesus was alive before he was born. Now, that's not true of any of you or me, but it was true of Jesus Christ. Now, there are religions in the world that teach that we humans are eternal and divine and that we all existed in some form floating around in the cosmos before we were conceived in our mother's womb. But while that's a popular notion, it's not found in the Bible anywhere. But the Bible does tell us that Jesus was alive prior to his conception and his birth. This is sometimes referred to as the pre-existence of Jesus. You've probably heard this passage before. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. Who is the Word? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus existed before he was born in Bethlehem's manger. And someone might say, well, Jesus was around at the beginning? Jesus made the world? I thought God created everything. Exactly. Exactly. The Word was God. And so we believe in the Holy Trinity, don't we? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, manifested in three distinct personalities, Father, Son, and Spirit. This is a mystery. 
that no one has been able to adequately explain, and yet the Bible makes it very clear. Note how Paul described Jesus in Philippians 2. It says, who being in the form of God. Now the word for form, the the Greek word translated form was the word morphe. It's probably better translated nature, as some translations do. The word form makes us think of somebody's outward appearance, how they look, but this word morphe refers to someone's inner essence, their very nature, Jesus being in very nature God. They might ask, well, if, if Jesus was God and if he was alive before he was born, did he ever show up? I mean, did he ever make any appearances on the earth pre-Bethlehem? Did that ever happen, someone might ask? Answer? Well, most Bible scholars would say yes, although it's more of an inference from the Scriptures rather than an outright clear statement. But most Bible scholars believe that the Son of God, in his pre-existence, did visit the planet at least several times prior to 4 B.C. when he was born in a manger. And these visits are often called Christophanies. You heard that term before, Christophany? a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus on the earth. You say, well, where do we see that in the Bible? Well, in Genesis 18, you might recall the story where God says, I'm going to go down to the earth and see what's going on in this particularly wicked city called Sodom. He said, I want to see it for myself. So he shows up at the tent of Abraham. And he begins to converse with Abraham about the fate of the city of Sodom. And that's when you might recall that Abraham tried to bargain with God for the preservation of that city. Remember that conversation, reading about that? Well, if there be 50 righteous people there, will you spare the city? 45, 40, and he was just kind of bargaining with God. But you know, the Bible declares that no one can see the face of God the Father and live. So who was Abraham's divine guest that day? Well, I believe it was God the Son, Jesus Christ himself, traversing the universe to make a pre-Bethlehem visit to earth. Later in Genesis 32, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, has a UFC-style wrestling match with a divine being, and it goes all night, and Jacob did pretty well until, as the light was dawning on a new day, the the other guy touches his hip and gives him a permanent disability, a reminder that would stay with him for the rest of his life of that struggle that night. And in the morning, Jacob marvels, and he said in Genesis 32:30, I have seen the face of God and lived. Well, who was his wrestling partner that night? Well, I believe it was God the Son, Jesus Christ. Later in God's story, you might remember the story of the three Hebrew teenage boys You remember that story? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Or Rakshak and Benny, if you're into veggie tales? (laughs) You might recall their story that the great king Nebuchadnezzar had given an order that everyone was to bow down and worship this golden image of the king. And these three guys, everybody else hit the deck, but these three guys remained standing and said, we will not bow down and worship you, O great king. And for this act of insubordination, Nebuchadnezzar had them thrown into a fiery furnace, and the Bible records that as Nebuchadnezzar peered into that furnace, he saw a fourth figure appear with the three 
Hebrew teenage boys. Who was that fourth guy who Nebuchadnezzar said looked like the son of a god? Well, most likely it was Jesus Christ. He delivered those three young men from the flames. So Jesus was alive before he was born. Would you say that with me? Jesus was alive before he was born. That's why after he grew up and became a man, he said things like, I've come down from heaven. The Father who sent me bears witness about me. No one has ascended up into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. On one occasion, he says, before Abraham was, what? I am. That meant he was at least 2,500 years old. And then he made this gargantuan statement, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, I was there when Satan was booted out of heaven. Jesus has always existed. He was alive before he was born. He lived in heaven with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and together they partnered to create the world at the beginning of time. But they also planned to redeem the world, didn't they? To redeem the world of fallen human beings, and for that, one of them would have to leave heaven. And so the second truth about Christmas that I want us to consider this morning is his kenosis, which means that Jesus gave up a lot to come here. He gave up a lot to come here. I guess today is the day of learning new theological words, okay? First, Christophany, and now this word, kenosis. My seminary professors would be extremely proud. <laughs> Look again at how Paul described God's entrance to our planet. Verse 6 of Philippians 2. Who, speaking of Jesus, though he was in the form of God, <coughs> excuse me, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or clutched or held onto, but he made himself nothing. That phrase, he made himself nothing, is the Greek word kenosis. And kenosis means simply to empty yourself, to divest yourself of something. So in order to come down here and save people, Jesus had to empty himself. But what exactly did he empty himself of? Some people think, well, he emptied himself of being God. Like when he became a man, he was no longer God. But is that true? I mean, is that what the Bible teaches? No, Jesus never stopped being God, even while he was here. But he did give up being equal with God in the sense of, of enjoying all the privileges of being God. My seminary professor, since I've referenced him already, he, he referred to this as Jesus giving up his divine lifestyle. He emptied himself of that. For a time, God the Son voluntarily gave up his divine rights and his divine privileges in order to become one of us. Think about it. When he came... He gave up his sovereign position as head of the universe. He gave up the comforts of his home in heaven. He gave up the nonstop worship. Remember of those cherubim and those seraphim, those angels who are encircling the throne, worshiping 24-7, 365. He gave that up. And of course, he gave up his face-to-face -face relationship with the Father. And for what? I mean, what did he give it up for? How was he treated down here on the earth? He gave it up to be treated with contempt, 
despised, rejected, misunderstood, spit upon, mocked, literally an outcast with a band of outcasts around him. Jesus gave up a lot to come here. Think about it. When he came, Jesus gave up the sovereign, unlimited use of many of his divine attributes like omnipotence and omniscience and omnipresence. The one who was accustomed to being everywhere at the same time chose to limit himself to a little piece of real estate over in the Middle East called the nation of Israel. The omnipotent creator confined himself to human skin, even that of a helpless little baby. When he was here, Jesus could turn water into wine, and yet he still got thirsty. He could calm the wind and the waves, but he also got weary at times and needed to take a nap. He knew what was in men's hearts, it says, but he did not know the appointed time of his own return to this planet. He who had ruled the universe, he who had ruled the universe, allowed a little two-bit ruler in Palestine to have him executed like a common criminal. Listen, Jesus was alive before he was born, but he gave up a lot to be here. He emptied himself of his divine prerogatives, his divine lifestyle, his heavenly lifestyle, in order to come to this earth as Emmanuel, God with us. Third, think about his descent from heaven to earth. Think about how Jesus came a long, long way to get here. One day, a little African boy listened carefully as his teacher explained to the students why Christians give presents to each other on Christmas Day. Well, gifts are an expression of our joy over the birth of Jesus and our friendship with each other, she said. Well, when Christmas Day finally came, the boy walked over to his teacher's house and he presented her with a gift, and it was a stunning seashell that he had found. Oh my, where did you find such a beautiful shell? The teacher asked. The boy told her there was only one spot where such extraordinary shells could be found. And when he named the place, which was a certain bay, several miles away, the teacher was left speechless. Why, she said, it's gorgeous, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, but you should not have gone all that way to get this gift for me. And with a smile, the boy looked at her and answered, Long walk, part of my gift. You know, God the Son came a long, long way. All the way from the heights of heaven, down, 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 to one little solar system, to one little planet, to one little country on that planet, to an obscure village, to a stable, to a manger. And when you think about it, he continued his descent downward into a grave, didn't he? That's a long downhill journey. And we hear that and we might, might ask, God, why did you go to all that trouble? And God says to us, long walk, part of my gift. The story is told about one of the kings of ancient Persia, who every so often liked to disguise himself, dress up in peasant's clothing, and walk around town incognito, mingling with his people, kind of like undercover boss. He loved the perspective that it gave him to see through the eyes of his people. On one occasion he was doing this, he entered a particular building and he wound his way down, down, down a long flight of stairs into a dark and damp cellar where a man was sitting there tending the furnace, tending the fire, sitting on a pile of ashes. 
And the king came and he sat down beside that man and he began to talk with him. Mealtime came and the fireman produced some coarse bread and a jug of water and pulled that out and they ate together and talked together. And eventually the king left, but he ended up returning again and again to visit, finding that his heart was filled with sympathy for this lonely man. Finally, one day the king thought to himself, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell this man who I really am, and then I'll see what gift he asks me for. And so he did that. But to his amazement, the man did not ask him for a thing. The king was astonished, and he said, don't you realize that I can give you anything that you ask for? Wealth, a city, a throne? But the man gently replied, I understand your majesty. But you've already given the greatest gift that a man could ever receive. You left your palace to come all the way down here to sit with me in this dark and lonely place. Nothing else could be more precious to me. You have given me the gift of your presence, and that is the greatest gift of all. Well, you know, the Bible says that Jesus, King Jesus, came from his royal throne high up in heaven to come way, way, way down to earth to sit with one such as us. I hope we all get this this Christmas season. Christmas is not primarily about malls and shopping and presents and Santa Claus and reindeer. It's primarily about the wonder of Emmanuel, God with us, making the long descent from heaven to earth in order to come be with us. That brings me to the final truth I want us to to think about today and to ponder today, and that's the truth of the incarnation. The incarnation. And that means that Jesus identified with humanity by getting into our skin. By getting into our skin. Paul wrote, he took the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Never ceases to amaze me that if you had been walking down the streets of Nazareth when Jesus was a young boy and you'd passed this young boy laughing and playing with his friends, that you would not have realized that you just walked past the creator of the universe. You know, sometimes you look at these medieval paintings of the baby Jesus, you know, being held by his mother Mary and the baby always has a little halo above his, above his head, you know, that's glowing. Well, that's not really the way it was. Jesus looked like any other baby boy. He looked like any other growing child. He looked like any other Jewish man And when he grew up. He was made in the likeness of men. The church father, Augustine, who lived in the 400s, summed up the incarnation of Jesus like this. The maker of man became man, that he, the ruler of the stars, might be nourished at the breast that he the bread might be hungry, that he the fountain might thirst, that he the light might sleep, that he the way might be wearied by the journey, that he the truth might be accused by false witnesses, that he the judge of the living and the dead might be brought to trial by a corrupt mortal judge, that he justice itself might be condemned by the unjust, that he discipline itself might be scourged with whips, that he, the foundation, might be suspended high upon a cross, that he, courage personified, might be weakened, that he, security, might be wounded, and that he, the very life itself, might die. You know, it's one thing 
to feel compassion. It's another thing to be concerned. It's another thing yet to decide that somebody needs to do something about a particular situation. It's something else to go ahead and actually make an investment to help out. But wouldn't you agree that the ultimate act of love is to show up, to get personally involved? Jesus came to us as God with skin on. Not just with us, but one of us. You cannot get more personally involved than that. You see, only by becoming one of us could the Son of God ever say he truly understood what it's like to be human. Only by becoming one of us could Jesus truly experience the temptations of the devil, the allurements of this world, and the weaknesses of human flesh. Only by becoming one of us could Jesus qualify to be the perfect mediator between a holy God and a rebellious race of human beings. And only by becoming one of us could Jesus meet our deepest need to be reconciled to God. You know, much of who Jesus was and what Jesus did was unique to Jesus. You cannot be Jesus. You cannot raise the dead with a command of your voice. You cannot turn water into wine. You cannot call the wind, calm the wind and the waves with a spoken word. You can't live the perfect life that Jesus lived. And you can't die for anybody's sins hanging on a cross. But even though all that is true, look again at how Paul started this section in verse 5 of Philippians 2. He said, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or as I memorized it in the King James Version, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That tells us that there's at least one thing that Jesus did that you can do too. And that is to minister to other people with his mind, with his perspective, with his outlook. You can minister to others with the mind of Christ. And what was the mind of Christ or the mindset of Christ? Well, that's what Paul's been elaborating on that we've just seen. It's the mindset that says, I'm willing to give up. I'm willing to relinquish my rights and my privileges in order to minister to people. I'm willing to cross huge barriers of distance and culture in order to be with people. And I'm willing to get personally involved. I'm willing to get inside their skin in order to meet their deepest need. That is the mind of Christ. And you and I can minister to other people with the mind of Christ. I don't know that I've heard a story that better illustrates ministering with the mind of Christ, the incarnational mind of Christ, than this story. It's a story about the Hawaiian island of Molokai. It has a very interesting history, and you've got to go back to the 1800s to understand its significance. You know that back then there was no cure for the very contagious and deadly disease of leprosy. Leprosy, as you probably are aware, was a, a devastating condition that would eat away at the extremities of the human body, basically causing the body to cannibalize itself. It was an awful, dreadful, dehumanizing disease. Today it's curable, but back then it was not. And so, back in those days, in order to prevent the disease from spreading and creating an epidemic in a community, the government would round up all those who had contracted leprosy, and herd them off to a leper colony 
In this case, there was one located on this island, this Hawaiian island of Molokai. There the lepers were secluded and they were isolated from everyone else in an effort to contain this disease. Well, in 1873, there was a very brave young man named Damien who felt the call of God upon his life to, to spend his life ministering to the leper colony on Molokai. When he first arrived, you can imagine what he saw just kind of turned his stomach. Walking around were individuals in various states of decomposition, and that was horrific enough. But he also ob- observed that the whole fabric of this colony, this community was coming apart and coming unraveled. What he found was rampant drunkenness and immorality and abuse and really just a prevailing climate of despair and hopelessness, as you can imagine. Every day, as he observed what was going on, he heard people crying out for the answer to the question that everybody cries out when they're in desperate situations. God, where are you? God, where are you? They desperately needed to sense and feel that God had not abandoned them and there was some glimmer of hope that they could experience something of God's presence in what felt like a God-forsaken situation. Seeing all of that and finding that his heart was deeply moved, Damon made a life-altering decision. He decided to go and actually live among the 700 lepers in that leper colony. Despite knowing the dangers and despite knowing what would likely be the inevitable result of having so much personal contact with such a highly contagious disease, nothing could dissuade him. So he moved into the neighborhood, as it were, intent on bringing the hope of Jesus Christ to hopeless people. Once there, he was able to rally the people together And they started to build. They built some homes, and they built a hospital, and they built a clinic, and they built a church. He tried his best to become part of the leper community there. On Sundays when a church service was held, he would always stand up in front of his congregation of lepers and warmly address them the same way every weekend, my dear brothers and sisters. But then one Sunday morning, In 1885, at the age of 45, he stood up in front of his congregation of people and he addressed them with a different greeting than usual. With a calm, clear voice, he looked out over those gathered there and instead of saying, my dear brothers and sisters, he started differently. He began with these words, my fellow lepers, I am now one of you. These broken and distraught people had been crying out in their misery. Where is God? Where is God? And Damien wanted them to know that God had not abandoned them, even if man had. He wanted them to feel and sense the living presence of Jesus Christ. And the only way he felt he could do that was by becoming one of them. That is ministering with the mind of Christ. Some of you are newer to New Life, perhaps, and and you see that we regularly send off short-term missions teams like we did just last weekend, and you wonder why, and what what is that all about? Well, this is why. To get into other people's skin. To begin to learn to to see life and, and, and look at life through a different lens than just your own. To incarnate, in a sense. The Apostle John wrote this. As he is, 
so are we in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. And I think what he meant was for God's people to so embrace the mindset of Christ that they would be willing, like he did, to let go of their rights and privileges in order to minister to people, that they would be willing to reach across racial, cultural, and geographic barriers, just like Jesus did, and get personally involved in people's lives just like Jesus did, in, uh, in order that others might know and feel the presence of Christ. I've thought about this a lot lately, ministering with the mind of Jesus, the mindset of Jesus, and, and getting into other people's skin, and incarnating, and that kind of a thing. And I've been prompted to offer all of us several challenges for this Christmas season. On the back side of your outline, some white space, and I'm going to ask you to to write at the top, ministering with the mind of Christ. Ministering to others with the mind of Christ. Let me give you a couple of um, applications of that. How about this Christmas season if we ministered with the mind of Christ to hurting people? Now that would honor the Lord, wouldn't it? You know, in our east side of Columbus community here in recent weeks, there's been several teen suicides, right? Teens taking their own lives. And um, it's been kind of shocking and startling for us in our nice suburban, you know, upper middle class community to think that anybody could be carrying around that kind of hopelessness and that kind of despair. And I was at the high school the next morning and talked with a number of students who came in and they were weeping and a lot of them didn't know what to think, what to say, what to do, but almost all of them said to me, Pastor Steve, you know what? I've been there. I've been at that point of hopelessness. I've been at that point of despair. And I thought, you know, I wonder how many people in our world are walking around carrying a deep level of hopelessness and despair, but they're not showing it and they're not sharing it. What's it going to take to minister to people like that? You know what it's going to take? It's going to take us embracing and adopting the very mindset of Jesus Christ and being willing to pause and look into the eyes of other people, look more deeply into their eyes and find out what's going on in their heart. Because more people than you would imagine, especially this time of year, or walking around your campus, your workplace, your office, in and among the cubicles where you work, and they're carrying a deep level of despair. Many of them are not showing it. You wouldn't know it by looking at them. Some of them are. You know, you can just look at someone's countenance, right? How about this Christmas season as a church family? If we got outside of ourselves and decided that we have the mind of Christ, as Paul says, and we're going to minister to other hurting people out of that mindset. And here's a word for some of you. I don't know who this applies to particularly, but here's a word for some of you this morning. Get your eyes off yourself. You know, someone said when, when we're all wrapped up in ourselves, it's a pretty small package. Some of you just need to get your eyes off yourself. There's a whole world full of needy people. And the Jesus who lives in you wants to minister to them through you. 
How about if we do that? How about if we take up that challenge? Why don't you take a moment and write down the name of a person who's may, whose face perhaps has come to your mind as I've been talking, ministering the mind of Christ with the mind of Christ to a hurting person. Who might that be in your life? Think about that for a minute. And then I thought about ministering with the mind of Christ in the community that we're feeling led to go to, Whitehall. The elders of this church have believed now for a while that God is leading us to open up a campus of New Life Church in the community of Whitehall, just 15, 20 minutes from here. And we have a number of folks uh, in our church who live in Whitehall, and they're growing increasingly excited about this. And as I got to thinking about ministering with the mind of Christ in Whitehall and getting into their skin, and, and I thought, you know, it, it probably behooves us to not just secure a facility that we can worship in on a weekend, but to secure a facility there that we can have a presence in the community and be there like 24-7, seven days a week all the time. Doesn't that sound like ministering with the mindset of Christ and incarnating and getting in someone's skin and being there and having a presence there instead of just kind of drive-by ministry? And our, our elder team is becoming increasingly convinced that that's the route we need to go. If God's going to call us to open up different kinds of ministries in that community that would take place during the week, that we have that kind of a, a facility to meet in. And there are those that are available there. You can be praying about that. And we all need to give towards that, because that's going to be a more expensive venture, isn't it, than just renting a school for a Sunday morning for an hour. But think about what it costs Jesus to incarnate and to come, and what he gave up. Let's minister with the mind of Christ to hurting people. Let's minister with the mind of Christ to our friends, our neighbors in Whitehall. And then the third thing, let's minister this Christmas season with the mind of Christ to our family members and our church family members. One of the funnest things for me as a pastor is to hear accounts and to hear stories of brothers and sisters ministering to one another, gifts being given unexpectedly, surprisingly, money exchanging hands. Even right here in this room, it's happened. Hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars being offered to one another. Needs being met, service activities taking place, widows in our church being adopted and embraced by small groups and being served and household repairs being accomplished and all of those kinds of things. Don't you just love that? I mean, isn't that what families do? What if we ministered to one another in the church family with the mind of Christ this Christmas season? I'm going to get into somebody's skin. I'm going to be there. I'm going to get personally involved like Christ did. And then think about your own family. You know, this is the time of year when families get together, right? And those can be really wonderful or really awkward, or sometimes just really wonderfully awkward. <laughs> you know, when you get together, maybe your family's spread out like mine is, and you got cousins coming in from Kansas and uncles from Texas, and you got all kinds of different folks coming in. You get them all together, and they're not normally together. And what if you went into those gatherings this year with the mind of Christ? Like, I'm, gonna, I'm here not just to eat turkey and open presents. I'm here to minister to my cousin or my brother, or my sister. Maybe that oddball family member that everybody else has kind of written off, you know, back in the 80s. And, uh, but they still show up to the family gatherings, but they get ignored. What if you decided to not ignore them? 
But if you decided, you know, I got the mind of Christ. I'm going to minister to that person. I'm going to see if I can get into their skin a little bit and, and probe and poke around and find out what life is like from their vantage point. What if God wants to use you to save somebody's life, to minister to a needy family in Whitehall, to be a blessing to a cousin or a brother or a brother or sister in the family of God. Let this mind be in you, in you, in you, in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be, oh, let me live for others that I might live like thee. You bow your heads in prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for living this out for us. We don't just read about it in a book, but you came. You lived your life for others. It's what prompted you to come in the first place, to leave the glories of heaven. Because you saw a need down here on our planet, and you, you decided to get personally involved and put our skin on and become one of us so you could minister to our deepest needs. And Lord, I pray for us in this room, this Christmas season, Lord, we who know Christ, we who have bowed our knee to Jesus, we who are saved Christians, Lord, I pray that you in us would enable us to get our minds off of ourselves, our focus off of ourselves, and onto the people who are around us. Lord, may we minister, truly minister with the mindset of Jesus Christ this Christmas season, and beyond that, not just a seasonal thing. Lord, use us. Use us to help people feel your nearness, your closeness, your presence. May we, in a sense, incarnate, get inside people's skin and learn to see life through their point of view, through their eyes. Lord, open up opportunities to bless, serve, to share the gospel, pass your love on to those in our lives whom you've called us to minister to, and we thank you that you set the pace for us. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen.